In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This is the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, and we are at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, where we see Jesus sitting down to meal with uh, tax collectors and with uh, those that were considered sinners by the Pharisees and scribes. And they accuse Jesus of uh, just simply eating with them. And many times people will say, you'll hear them say, uh, Jesus hung out with sinners. And we want to make a clear distinction here. This is the accusation made by the Pharisees that he hung out with sinners. He's not hanging out with them. He's calling them to repentance. He is um, asking them to come into righteous living. And so this is the action that Jesus is taking. The Pharisees are grumbling about that. They're accusing and disgruntled while Jesus is seeking. And this is the choice before us. Are we going to grumble over sinners and complain about them? Or are we going to seek them? That's the question that stands before us. And to get us into that conversation of what it would look like uh, to seek the lost and to intercede for them, we have this great act of intercession that is done by the prophet Moses. You remember that Moses is now in Exodus, led the people out of the wilderness. They're on the Sinai Peninsula. They're gathered around Mount Sinai there at the bottom of the peninsula. And the Lord has taken Moses up onto the mountain in order to give him instructions on building the tabernacle, what worship of the one true God will look like, and the Ten Commandments, what righteousness is look, looking like. Because worship is supposed to bring us into righteousness. The worship in the tabernacle is bringing them to be able to fulfill the Ten Commandments. You remember that they go to Mount Sinai and then the uh, glory of God descends upon the mount for about a week and the people are camped uh, near the bottom of the mountain. And Moses goes up and, and has this celebration at the foot of the mountain. And then you remember that Joshua is allowed to go up with him part of the way. And then he is supposed to stay kind of midway up the mountain. And then Moses goes all the way up to receive these instructions about the tabernacle and the commandments. You remember that he's up there for 40 days. So the people are at the bottom of the mountain. Moses is at the top of the mountain. And they say, he's gone. We don't know where it is that he's gone. And the verses uh, where they instruct Aaron to build them a calf are uh, not in the reading this morning. They are Exodus 32. You can see that they've been skipped over 2 through 6. And basically, they're just the people going to Aaron and saying, uh, you know, we need to worship something. Uh, this is the, the requirement of uh, religious worship. And uh, since they have decided to um, forget about Moses, they have this need of something to worship. And so what do they do? They revert back uh, to what it is that they had done in Egypt. They revert back to this uh, Baal worship, right? To the worship of, the, of, of Baal and the calf and of the agricultural deities of Egypt. This is something to note because uh, nobody stops worshiping. Everybody worships. People that claim to be atheistic or agnostic have not stopped worship. They're worshiping. Uh, they've just chosen to worship something else. Just like the Israelites here in Egypt. They have decided to go and to worship agriculture and uh, the benefits of creation. As we look at that and we think about uh, what that means to uh, to worship and the fact that there's always going to be this um, this this gap in um, and the way that we participate in the creation we have to think a bit about what it means uh, 
when we uh, think about the sins that the people have committed. Because um, this is justice. The Lord is saying to Moses, the people have sinned. They've turned to Baal. They've turned to worship this calf. And there's a consequence for that. That's God's justice. The idea is that God has created the world in such a way in which there are always going to be um, action and cause. There's always going to be cause and effect. This is the way that he has created the world. And it's no different physically in the movement of the stars and the motions of the heavens than it is for our life and our life and worship and for our moral life. There's always a result. And so God's justice is to say, here is the right way to act and behave. And if we go and we act another way, there's going to be a consequence for that. And God's justice has to be maintained. It's, uh, able, we are able to understand God's justice by looking at the world, by looking at creation. We believe that the Lord has created the world in a, a reasonable way, in a rational way, so that we can perceive the motion of the stars in the heavens, so that we can perceive the animals of creation. We can look at human beings. And we can see that, yes, there is an orderly appearance to the world and that if we uh, put our minds to perceiving and understanding that we will be able to see what happens. What happens when I make this action? What happens when I do this action? And so God's justice is no different. It is immutable. It is um, eternal, just as all of the laws of the heaven, just like the movement of the moon and the tides. Uh, we are not able to see the direct relationship of the moon to the tides, but by observation we can see it. And justice is no different. Uh, it is something that we can see in God's nature. And it is always going to be uh, in its place. So, Moses has um, been up in the mountain with the Lord. And the Lord has told him, before he goes down, that the people have committed this act. And God says, the result of this justice is going to be that they're wiped out. That's what happens when people um, step away from my law and commandments. They enter into death. My way is the way of life. They've chosen death, and so death they will have. Now remember, Moses hasn't gone down the mountain yet and seen it. And after these verses, after verse 14 in Exodus, Moses does go down the mountain. And you remember, he goes down with Joshua, and Joshua says, Hey, what's that noise? Are they in battle? And Moses says, oh, No, that's the sound of pagan worship. And celebration and he knows what it is that they're doing by the sound and Moses becomes angry but this is not um, uh, that point this is even before the Lord is telling Moses this is what they've done and this is going to be the result their death that is what my job my justice uh, demands and he says um, my promise will um, still remain but I will fulfill my promise through you so he's telling Moses, I'm going to make the promise that I made to Abraham to you. I will raise up a nation to you. Remember what God's promise is. It was made all the way back in chapter 12 of Genesis. The Lord has said, I'm going to raise up a people, this nation of Israel, and through them I'm going to bring salvation to all the nations, to all the peoples of the earth. Right. So the, the nation of Israel is the means by which God is going to bestow grace upon all the peoples of the earth. And he says, I'm going to continue that promise, but through you, Moses. And Moses chooses to intercede. Moses intercedes. And what intercession is, is to say, here is the immutable justice of God. He doesn't say, God, forget about your justice. God, put away your justice. He says, no, this is God's justice. I understand it. Uh, you are able to exercise mercy. 
right? And so exercise your mercy and bring it together with your justice and out of that will come your love. Who is he directing this love towards? Moses says, your love needs to be directed towards Egypt and to all the nations of the world that have watched you bring your peoples out of Egypt. He says, what will the Egyptians think? What will the surrounding nations think if they see you bring your people out into the wilderness and then a few weeks later destroy them? What will the peoples of the world think? They will think that you're a god of destruction. They'll think that you're a god of entrapment, that you've led them out into this place in order to destroy them. And there will be no witness left behind. So he says, in order for your love to be known, in order for your name to be glorified, so that the peoples of Egypt and the surrounding nations know what kind of a God you are, allow your mercy to be joined to your justice so that your name can be glorified. And this is what Jesus is saying that he is doing and ministering to those who are lost. He is there to administer mercy. It isn't to wipe it away, it's to bring about those who are lost and to make them found. And he does this by telling three parables. So the three parables are the three parables of the lost. There's the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, whom we sometimes call the prodigal. The prodigal is the last of the three uh, narratives, the three parables about the lost. And it's not in our lesson this morning. I had to look it up because I forgot when we read it last. I was reading through these lessons and thinking, didn't we do the prodigal recently? Well, yes, we did. It turns out we did it the fourth Sunday of Lent. So sometimes in March of this year, I'd completely forgotten. And to be honest with you, I've forgotten what I preached about those lessons. I'm hoping I preach something like this. Those three parables go together, right? We can't take one away from the other. And the Lord is gradually building us up into an understanding of the seeker. His goal is to bring us into the mind and the heart of the seeker. So what is the mind and the heart of the shepherd, right? Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, right? And he talks about this shepherd who puts the lamb over his shoulders, and that's the icon for the good shepherd, right? The icon that we have on our binders, that we have on our walls and our cards. This is the shepherd who's brought the sheep, who's been out looking for it, and he's been searching for it as if it's his whole pasture, right? His desire is to take that which was lost and to make it found. The woman who has lost the coin is the same way. She is looking for this lost coin. It's a very valuable coin, right? These coins uh, that, that she would have lost um, could be a days or more wages, right? This is a, and a very expensive coin. And uh, it's interesting to note that in the archaeology that we have about homes that were built in the region of Galilee during this time, they were built with, um, with clay uh, bricks. And so these clay bricks, much like we have in the Southwest, would be uh, uh, formed in, in small wooden forms, and they'd be laid out in the sun to harden and to bake, and then they'd be placed on the, the floor of a house, and houses in the region of Galilee would not have windows, they would have a door and maybe some small opening for a, a, a fireplace for smoke to go out. Uh, but there would be very little light, natural light in the home. And without um, these bricks would have been laid without grout. And so if you've ever been in a place where there's tile without grout, things get lost 
amongst the tiles. So you can see how losing a coin would be very dangerous in this dark place with all these little crevices where a coin could easily land on its side and it would be impossible to see it just by standing and looking. You would have to have a good lamp and you'd have to get down on your hands and knees. You'd have to sweep the dust away from the middle of these bricks in order to search for that coin. This would be a labor-intensive right effort that would have to be made. Right? And we're put into the place of this woman searching for the coin and then the joy that she's going to experience when she finally finds this treasure. And the Lord is saying, come into that place and understand what it is to seek that treasure. We can get even further in some ways with the parable of the prodigal for the desire of the father to find the son. But um, then the, the difficulty is exposed by the older brother, remember? Because he's not so grateful that the brother is found. The older brother is like the Pharisee and the scribes, right? He's the grumbler. He's the one that says, hey, this guy threatened the safety and security of our entire family, right? When the prodigal asks for his inheritance, his father isn't dead. He's calling for the death of his father. He's risking the, the financial security of the family by having a portion of their land sold, which would be very difficult for the family to regain. He's uh, squandered all of that money uh, with no thought for the family. This is the person that the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling about. They're saying he's deserving of, of death, right? He's deserving of, of what is coming to him. He's deserving of your justice. And they have no interest in calling for justice. Jesus is saying, I want you to be in the head of the father. I want you to be in the head of this woman losing the coin of the shepherd after the sheep. That your desire is to seek that which was lost and for them to be found. What does that mean that they're found? It means that they repent, right? He tells us this, that we're rejoicing over one sinner that repents. What does repentance look like? Did you see that? It's very complex, repentance. Are you ready? I'll do it again. That's repentance. I was going this way. I was walking in death. I was walking towards death and destruction. This is the justice. This is the way that the Lord has made creation. If I keep doing this, I'll fall into death and destruction. I realize it. Wait a minute. I'm going in the way of death and destruction. And for me to repent, I've got to say, I'm going to turn towards the way of life. Sometimes repentance gets taught this way. I'm walking in the way of death. God, make me walk in the way of life. Or, I'm walking in the way of death. Lord, please um, don't let me fall into death. Keep me from the consequence. Ignore it. Overlook it. Without the willingness to turn and walk in life. We want all of the forgiveness. We want all of the blessing. We want all of the grace without the willingness to go from death to walk in life. So when Jesus is sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners, he's saying, you're walking this way, stop in your direction, and now walk in this way in the way of life. And part of that is going to be you know, making amends, making repair, living a life of righteousness to receive the rewards that come from righteousness. 
And so Jesus is saying, this is my task, and this is the task of the kingdom of heaven, and I'm calling you, like Moses, to intercede, to pray, to put your hearts and minds in the place of wanting and yearning for repentance, so that mercy can be joined to justice. And mercy, remember, requires saying, yes, I was walking in the way of death. Yes, I know that the consequence of that would be death. Now that I've turned towards life, I want to have those consequences removed and to have the benefits of life. And that's intercession, where mercy and justice are joined together and out of God's mercy and justice being joined, His love and His glory are revealed. The example we have of this is the life of St. Paul. St. Paul did not continue murdering Christians. He did not continue uh, being ignorant in an unbelief. He repented and his life was changed so that he was able to do what? He was able to be an example or a witness of God's mercy. That's exactly what he says. So that Jesus Christ might display his patience as an example to those who would believe. Paul's saying, I have been made an example. This is what it looks like when somebody repents and turns to the way of life, when God shows his mercy, when God exposes his patience and reveals it, then what happens is you have an example of somebody whose life becomes a life of strength. He says, I've been given strength in Christ Jesus so that those who would believe in him would have eternal life. So he's saying the whole point that I was turned away from wickedness and made an example of a life of repentance is so that those people in the world would see my life and know of God's patience and mercy and participate in that so that they could believe and follow Jesus Christ. I'm preaching to myself, as always. So easy to walk out of these doors and be a grumbler. These people out there, their problems are obvious, aren't they? The solution is so easy, sitting from where I sit. But then I'm condemning and calling on God's justice without mercy and exposing myself to all of the justice that I deserve. The choice before us is to seek, to go out these doors and to be seekers, to be looking for the lost, to be calling for their repentance, to be interceding on their behalf, to be praying that the Lord's mercy be shown so that their lives could be an example and so that more would be turned to his grace and to his love so that his name would be glorified. May we seek the lost. May we intercede for those who are deserving of God's justice and may we hunger for his mercy and his love to be known here and forevermore. Amen. Amen.